0: Hey everyone, welcome back to another week of concessions with me and Jared. This week we're releasing a previously recorded episode that was a real freaky time, Bo is Afraid. We had both seen it essentially on its opening weekend, and if you've seen it, you'll know that Bo is pretty primed for some concessions tomfoolery. And if you haven't seen Bo is Afraid yet, I really think it would be in your best interest to see it first before checking this out. You know, I just want what's best for you. If you've been enjoying what we do so far, please feel free to drop a like, review, follow on the podcast, wherever you do your listening. Also, you can find me at X at Dan Concedes, and Jared can be found at Threads at Jared Concessions. Let us know whether or not we're making our mothers proud or disappointed. As always, thank you so much for spending some time with us, and come on into the episode with us. There's no need to be afraid.
1: Welcome to Concessions. I am Dan. And I'm Jared. And tonight we're going to work through some mommy issues. Mm -hmm. But before we do that, Dan, what are you drinking this fine evening?
0: I am uh, still still working through that bottle from First Reformed of uh, some nice bullet bourbon. Um, Although I added a little bit of bitters just
1: for for fun. A little spice. Ah, and do you have a, a big old ice cube in there as well? Oh, naturally, oversized spherical. Okay. It's a great time. You're like two thirds of the way to an old fashioned, maybe even three quarters of the way. Yeah, if I just dis- I got no oranges, I
0: have some cherries and some uh, a sugar cube. Although I feel like everyone disagrees on what is in an old fashioned. I, I like every bar I've worked at; their old fashioned recipe is slightly different, and they
1: swear it's like, no, this is the real one. Actually, right? Yeah, I've experienced that too. So uh, by that, those standards, uh, it sounds like you ha- have an old fashioned. <laughs> um i'm drinking a sam adams summer ale appropriate oh, given that the right in the middle yeah it is the spring season if we want to get technical about it but uh they don't have a spring ale they go straight from the winter ale to the summer ale so do they
0: not have a spring
1: because i know uh-huh. i do like
0: their winter ale and i guess yeah now i'm thinking about it they they might not. But they yeah. they
1: must because in the fall they have the they have October Fest, Fest. of course. Yeah. So yeah, what what is the seasonal spring brew, or do they just have this delicious summer ale for half of the year? Yeah, we are
0: now already we're already distracted. But anyways, um, yeah, Bo is afraid. Um, probably a guy who could probably use beer. Uh, could use a little bit of time with his feet up. Maybe uh, a, a nice, among other things, to help him to relax to release the
1: tension he needs some he needs to do something to release his tension and get a little bit of clarity after whatever that is that he needs to do um you know what's amazing to me is uh you got that bottle of bullet uh so that you could properly imbibe what we were talking about first reform that was two entire weeks ago and you still have it you're doing much better in your life than the main character of First Reformed. <laughs> yeah, that bottle wouldn't have lasted much longer. I mean, this uh, honestly, these two movies are—they
0: got some connective tissue.
1: Yeah, we we might have to skip Office Space to just compare it to First Reformed. Although I'm sure we can uh, we can offer plenty of insight into both. Before we get into Bo is Afraid, though, um, what else did we watch this week? And actually, I can just answer this question because you and I both watched a couple of the same movies this past week. We both watched the Super Mario Brothers movie and we both watched Evil Dead Rise. Super Mario Brothers movie, I think might take the crown for the most cynical uh, (laughs) cash grab that I've ever seen. Like The safest, most cynical cash grab because man, it is there is no meat on those bones whatsoever. They just made exactly the type of movie that, you know, five-year-old you may have had in your head playing Super Mario on the Super Nintendo in the nineties and didn't take any risks, didn't do anything at all subversive. So it was very safe and it, it's successful in its cynicism as well uh, about the same standards but also a very successful cash grab because it is absolutely dominating yeah i mean it's -hmm. successful like a damn big mac is successful well at least the big mac will in theory for a while prevent you from dying if it's all that you have available to you for sustenance at all yeah not not so much of the super mario Bros. movie Tell me I'm wrong though, Dan, tell me you loved it. Absolutely not, it sucked. Uh, (laughs) Where And honestly,
0: it probably would have, even it being very successful making a lot of money, made by the same studio that made Minions. So what do you expect? So it's like, I went in and it's exactly what I anticipated. And like, that's fine. Like it's a a cynical cash grab for kids and they're gonna have a good time. Sure, whatever, I can just move on. What's really bizarre to me, is just like all the 40 year olds that are out here defending this movie i'm like guys Uh like it's it's just a silly kids movie and that's totally fine like just admit that your mario fantasy movie is for babies for for toddlers and nine-year-olds
1: like that's, that's fine i mean it ought to transport you back to being that age right if you're 40 that means you were roughly like five when the uh super mario bros on the you know the nes dropped in north america um so i I mean i guess you know if it transports them back good for them i think it did bring the member berries like it did the small things right like it had both the super mario bros theme song rap and also the donkey kong rap you know it did little things like what was happening on screen like when it kind of conjured up like one of the specific games, a little bit of the mm. th- music from that game would play. Ooh, you know, it did uh, one thing. Like the the thing that made me roll my eyes the hardest because it's like, guys, come on! Like, do you need to be that obvious? Like, <laughs> is when uh, Donkey Kong and Mario were about to get into their kind of Super Smash Brawl, and Donkey Kong's running at Mario, ready to clobber him. He says it's on like donkey kong and <laughs> because he's seth rogan he, he laughed like that <laughs> afterwards and yeah that's when i knew that man i could also be a successful hollywood screenwriter if i just know um, how you get the job of writing the super mario Bros. movie <laughs> yeah for real also uh did not expect to have flashbacks to 9 11
0: in my children's mario movie excuse me
1: Explain. bullet yourself. bill
0: coming in and blowing up brooklyn Oh my God! Yeah, never forget, kids.
1: I forgot. Damn it, <laughs> you forgot. Okay, okay. But on a on a personal note, I did take my three year old daughter to to the movies to see Super Mario, and it was her very first theatrical experience. Uh, oh, that's very great. first time sitting in public to watch a thing with other people. And um, she behaved remarkably well for you know a three and a half year old. She she wiggled a little bit. She said, "Daddy, I want to go." And I said, "No, we got to wait to watch the whole movie." And she said, "Oh, okay." And um, that was it. And she talked a couple of times, but not loudly. And you know, I, I asked her not to, and she kind of minded. I was plying her with raisinets, though, <laughs> um, which uh, I definitely convinced myself was healthier than the other candy choices that were there because there's a raisin in there somewhere, in theory. (laughs) Um, Anyway, she loved uh, it. What's your earliest, what's the first movie you can remember going into theaters to see? Yeah, we talked about this last week, and uh, I'm not, uh, or did we? No, we didn't. I was was very high. Okay, uh, (laughs) yeah, it was, I don't remember it, but my mom told me that and you know, I believe everything that my mom tells me. She's my mom world. Legally, she can do. Cannot, she can do, She can do no wrong. Uh, over she just my whole gives life, my whole she world. Gives she gives and she gives. And we, mom, can if you're never. listening to this, I miss you because you're dead. But uh, also, uh, she told me uh, that I saw all dogs go to heaven, and that <laughs> oh, I great. spilled all the popcorn. Oh no. The first movie uh, I remember being like hyped for and actually like excited to go see, and then I went and saw it, uh, was The Lion King. The Lion.
0: See, I'm uh, a le- being a little younger. The first movie I have memories of, I have a feeling it probably isn't the first movie I ever saw, but the first movie I just remember going to see was the Dollar Theater. When you could actually go back in my day, you could go see a movie for a dollar at the old Nickelodeons. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But, yeah, it was one of those dollar theaters where it's, like, it's not quite in the main theaters anymore. Maybe, like, it's, like, the B-tier of what's been released. Right. Um, well, this wasn't B-tier, but it was Toy Story. Right. Uh, was like, the a, like I a, year after, a year
1: after it first came out in theaters. It or must something. have. I mean, given the timeline, because Toy Story is, like, 91, isn't it? No, it's, like, 95 or 96,
0: I think. Is it that late? I think oh of so. oh, course there is 95 yeah which that would put me um I would turn 3 at the end of that yeah, year yeah most must Toy have Story been had, later on it had it probably been out and that seems like the kind of movie that they would
1: have a really long run especially yeah. in like the dollar theaters you know I got I have a bone to pick with you because I think I might be able to get my my movie going experiences down to a dollar a piece because i have the regal unlimited subscription not a sponsor yet uh (laughs) and if i go and see 22 movies in a month that is a dollar a piece i mean if you want to do that i i I looked through the app because i was curious like how how well is this paying for itself and Mm. the fewest movies that i've seen in a single month since i've got my subscription was five yeah that'll do what it's you said it was 22 bucks for uh... yeah yeah. i mean you go to two movies and that's paid for yeah it's it's a yeah. no-brainer if you're like us and just you know addicted and the movie theater is your church yeah, I, have um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just, I have nothing better to do yeah yeah i
0: have nothing better to do that is the uh, thing i notice where it's like when i uh i see you know as i blog movies i see like when it goes when i notice gaps i'm like man i really haven't been watching movies lately
1: it's like oh right i've been having a life these last couple of weeks right yeah exactly <laughs> i've been having company and uh, my children have been doing things, and I can't drag my three-year-old to every movie because I also saw Evil Dead, Evil Dead Rise. Uh, I gave my opinion on Mario first, so you you go. It took itself way too seriously.
0: My well, at least for the Evil Dead, for me, you know, other people may like it for exactly that reason, but like Evil Dead for me is like it's it's Monty Python almost. Like mm-hmm. it's slapstick, it's goofy. It yeah. does, it never takes itself too seriously. And it's got Bruce Campbell in it. Right. Um, So, like, this one was going more for, like, like, kind of a contemporary, like, serious, grounded horror that's about, like, something thematically beyond just what's on the screen. And, like, I like those movies. We're about to talk about a movie like that. But that's just not Evil Dead's lane. It's kind of... It would be like if Scream tried... Well, Scream has tried to do it, and it's bad where like in the like there are parts of the evil that the new evil that they're really good like that final monster is amazing uh yeah like some of the the splatters are great and you can see some attempts Mm. at like attempts at not taking themselves too seriously but it's just like so grounded and essentially like a like a, a family drama that it it's it by picking both it becomes neither
1: yeah yeah, I, I agree with that. And um it's I, I would say that it's definitely my least favorite thing to bear the evil dead name, including the TV show and the musical, uh, which are both. Oh excellent. the musical is so fun. Yeah. The best song on um, in that musical is called What the Fuck Is That or What the yeah. Fuck Was That? <laughs> It Unfortunately, so I couldn't good. get tickets for the Splatter Zone this year, but next year I will definitely be in the Splatter yeah, Zone. They're only like what twenty bucks if you're okay with getting blood on you. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I agree. It's um, I thought it was full of half measures. Like it didn't have like, like that Monty Python goofiness, although it did sort of vaguely gesture at it. There's like a Three Stooges poster in the back, and obviously the Three Stooges were a big, big big influence on sam raimi's evil dead movies they quoted the hell out of them you know uh dead by dawn dead by dawn and like you know she uh, at one point didn't she uh prop a swallow she, your soul there was like yeah there was an all, there was an all swallow your soul in there the main gal cocked the shotgun and said like get, Come some. get some you know yeah, like yeah, they, yeah. they gestured at like the goofy classic lines and that sort of thing but the movie overall like the tone that it struck was very very like you know taking itself seriously but as far as it being just an actual like splatter fest and like grimy dirty kind of sloppy gore that the evil dead is also known for it also kind of half-assed that too like if you put it up against 2013's evil dead this one was like very very sanitized even the yeah, 2013 like, one is is grody and gross and yeah we're like up. the
0: 2013 one it it kind of eschews the comedy completely it,
1: to just be to just be to a just ramp fest. up the yeah, yeah where it's like
0: all right well you got one of the pieces done very well so I'll at least tip my cap yeah, there where exactly yeah, I mean, yeah, with the spider like there's a couple cool moments but yeah not like. Not a ton. Honestly, the opening bit with which was eventually was like unrelated to the rest of the plot was like yeah.
1: the closest to actual evil dead, I think the movie got. Right. Yep, definitely. Yeah, I, I wasn't even particularly impressed by the shit talking. Like usually the Deadites, they, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. they talk yeah it. Well, some that's where the comedy and, comes from. Yeah. And they did in this one a little bit. Like mommy's with the maggots now is like the best line, and it's in the trailer, unfortunately. But yeah, it was it was disappointing for me. You know, I still liked it. I mean, I'm not yeah, going to say I didn't bad. I didn't have fun watching it. I think it's unless you count the movie we're about to about to talk about. I think it's so far the best sort of larger budget wider release kind of studio system horror movie of the year. Um, Are we not counting so M3 again? Uh I, I would say I like this more than M3 again. Really? Oh, I like yeah, M3 more. Cuz M3 knew it was a little silly. Yeah, I, I would like to watch the R-rated cut of Megan yeah. if I like it more. <laughs> but, you know, hey, without further ado, we got to talk about Bo's Afraid. That's the third movie that both of us saw in the theater over this past week. And definitely the best of the bunch from where I'm sitting. So Bo Afraid is the latest film from Ari Aster, who is, you know, I would say like one of the three sort of like central figures of the current kind of horror renaissance we're living in right now, along with Robert Eggers and Jordan Peele. They're kind of the three guys that everyone in like the horror community online is constantly arguing over which of the three has the best body of work so far, even though they've only each directed three movies or three features and, uh, uh yeah it, it uh he wrote it and directed it he uh he worked with his usual dp pavel Pogorzelski, who uh, they linked up in in college and shot all of Aster's short films before moving right on into hereditary and midsummer and uh and now Bo is afraid joaquin phoenix is in the title role pretty pretty killer cast of uh, folks you don't see very often in big movies patty lapone amy ryan Nathan Lane, Parker Posey are kind of the, the bigger ones. And then uh, as the the, the younger Teenbo, uh, a fellow by the name of, of Armin Nahapishin, who uh, until like a week ago, I thought he was a CGI creation, as did many others.
0: <laughs> yeah, as it um, well,
1: the poster makes you think it
0: because it's I'm looking at it right now. There are four different ver- or three different versions of Joaquin Phoenix. And then you got uh, Armin down there too so i just assumed that was another joaquin phoenix it is uncanny how
1: yeah. similar he looked. yeah he um he he definitely has the same vibe like it's not even just like his facial features being similar which they are he has a sort of the same like i don't know almost spooky detachment um yeah. in in the eyes that that Joaquin has and did as a child as well like if you go back and watch like parenthood and um some mm-hmm. of the movies that leaf phoenix was in back yeah, then before changing his name to Joaquin yeah uh, it's almost like similar ethereal yeah. or something like that I can't I don't even know the right word surreal we're gonna say that word quite a it's bit so cool. over <laughs> over the, the next hour or two here uh yeah the the surrealism kind of begins with the casting And I'll go ahead and and just start by saying I really liked this movie quite a bit. I had foolishly looked at quite a bit of the online discourse before seeing it that kind of leaked onto Twitter after some of the initial screenings and, and that sort of thing. And I had heard way back that it was not testing well and that it was, you know, being cut way down for time. And so I kind of braced myself for it to be at least my least favorite Ari Aster movie. And it didn't turn out to be that. Uh, I quite like this movie. I think it is hilarious and also uh, at the same time just has this horrifically sinister tone. It's just like an imposition, just kind of like sweltering oh, around you. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, exactly. Everyone's kind of favorite buzzword to describe this. It does have like this (laughs) oppressive tone. It has this just air of doom and like a ticking clock about it. Mm -hmm. And it does a fantastic job of taking these like real world problems or real world terrors and then amplifying them to kind of put you into the mind of someone who has just crippling terminal anxiety uh and it really works and everything sort of coalesces together to create that you know the just the the way you know the actual screenplay itself phoenix's performance the way that it's cut the the it does the same hereditary and midsummer trick where the score is just occasionally just a drone just like for long stretches of i the heard movie. um
0: i heard specifically some similar even melodies uh, more from hereditary
1: where there was those strings that were like
0: ee, ee, a few oh times. yeah
1: yeah 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 I, I, let me see if it's the same composer while you uh kind of hmm. walk me through your your uh so i your initial thoughts this is when i just went in blind like all i
0: like there's a few directors and he's definitely on that list where like guy made new movie say no more i'm there so i didn't really like i think i had seen one preview just before a movie at some point uh like a month ago didn't know anything about responses to this one uh deliberately avoided any discussion or scuttlebutt about it from what i remember from the one trailer like i, I also went it's like i think i've seen the trailer i don't think it mattered because i don't know what the fuck is going on in this movie anyways so go in blind really the only thing i knew before before i sat down i was like okay this is three hours okay strap in and yeah i (laughs) i also loved it um it took me a second to get on par or on pace with like the episodic nature of it um Mm -hmm. because i thought like i I was just kind of going along with the movie and then it it cuts to black and then it picks up in a new an entirely new space and then i'm like oh okay like Sometimes movies will do that once, but then when they did a second time, I was like, oh, okay, so this is like a picaresque kind of thing or like an odyssey kind of thing. But then I will say that's like the only, I don't even call it a knock, but the only time that I was like feeling its time is sometimes like there was after one of the episodes when it cut to black, picked back up. I the cut the black. I was like, oh, well, now it's over. Like that's. This movie's done, like it's concluded, and then it it's almost like in the Return of the King, where like you they destroy the yeah. ring, it cuts to black. I'm like, ah, what a nice movie. And
1: then it picks back up. I'm like, oh, oh okay, we are we're still going. All right, what do we got? Yeah. Interesting that uh Ari Aster himself has compared his film to both the Odyssey and the Lord of the Rings.
0: Oh, he's he has brought up Lord of the Rings with this movie.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He oh, calls he calls great. the he calls this uh, this movie a Jewish Lord of the Rings. <laughs>
0: That was something that I entirely, I mean, me being entirely un-Jewish, I did not pick up that like, this is the most powerful Jewish mother on the planet that we are dealing with right now. Yeah, even I know the cliche of the the overbearing Jewish mother. I think it's because she was lacking the like really hard New York accent.
1: Like, I think I I need that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, and even though she's played by the incomparable Patty Lapone. <laughs> oh, my who, uh, God.
0: The back half who, of this movie, she ran it.
1: Yeah, and, you know, Patty Lapone is one of these folks who probably isn't a household name to folks who are not super into, like, Broadway and musicals um, or just the stage in general, but yeah, she is, uh, she's absolutely perfect to play this role. She, uh, and actually, I would say almost the same thing about Nathan Lane. Like Nathan Lane is uh, yeah, yeah. um, you know, he he seen he's been in his fair share of of big motion pictures for sure, but he's still more of he's not really a legend outside of Broadway. Well, and even a lot um, of his
0: movie appearances are more in the
1: musical space or like Disney movies or things like that, which are quite adjacent. Yeah, I want I wanna to touch a little bit later on um what I think is intentionally casting uber famous theater mm. actors who are less well-known in film in this, this specific movie. But um, yeah, she, she's amazing in this. And, you know, while we're at it, like Joaquin Phoenix, you know, he, he does his usual thing, which it, it almost seems like he was kind of being himself. <laughs> in <a> way. <laughs> uh, he, he doesn't, he, he gives it his all as far as like the physicality and, you know, kind of what he appears to be experiencing internally. Honestly, I feel like he was the least sort of surprising, or not not the least impressive, but but the least surprising performance in that. Oh yeah, like this is this is almost par for the course. Yeah, like, of
0: course, Joaquin Phoenix is going to do exactly what he needs to do. Um, well, what's really impressed with his performance too is that like this character on paper is really one note. Like, man is stressed for three hours. Like. How to make that interesting for three hours is really difficult.
1: Yeah. And it Um, it turns out to be extremely, extremely funny. Apparently, you can find like 800 different ways to
0: convey being deeply uncomfortable and frightened.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, a a lot of the... uh, Like, a lot of the... Like, I'll go back to this. A lot of, like, what makes this movie interesting is it does take, you know, quite a few... You know, not outlandish experiences, like more more mundane experiences, and then again amplifies them to the point of abject horror when we're kind of seeing them through Beau's perspective, being someone who is just cripplingly anxious. Um, and uh, to me, that that was like really powerful, and it just that, that was this almost the 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 trick throughout the first what like hour of the movie. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it, I was bought into that. Um, pretty, pretty much completely so that when it takes a couple of its kind of hard left turns and you like really get into like what you said, the episodic nature of it. I I was less, um, I wasn't even wondering how it was going to be sustained. I was just like very much like, oh my God, what's next? Yeah, I'm almost like Bo in this one. I'm like just passively along for the
0: ride where, and I'm, I'm sure you've seen some of the interviews too, where it's like, that's almost for a director like ari astro where all his movies are almost like designed for like youtube videos of like ending explained or secret meaning behind yeah. movie explain yeah. he like explicitly says in this one he's like don't do that just yeah just sit back and let the movie work on you quit trying to figure it out it ain't a puzzle <laughs> right. like just right. be
1: like beau and just be confused and sad for three hours yeah. okay and then and then, of course, film YouTube takes that as an invitation to double down on doing their ending <laughs> videos. And well, you know, what I did think-
0: you mean by that?
1: Well, and I think I watched like maybe four or five of those, and they they all explained it differently. <laughs> <laughs> but but suffice to say, the movie is certainly about uh, anxiety and the the guilt that uh, some people are meant to feel by not, let's say, reciprocating the depth of dedication that their parents uh you know give to unto them there are some parents out there that are wont to make their children feel terrible about that and uh get kind of the feeling that uh you know that that is one of the primary themes but i guess what's your what's your ending explained my ending
0: exp- well okay well uh spoiler time if we're talking Endings Explained, where it was actually a a small throwaway line, at least because this movie is sort of a a Rorschach test of a movie where, you know, it's because it's it seems like it's not it's it's gesturing at so many things. It's kind of like you fill in the blanks and uh, and a very good movie will invite you to fill in those blanks and will give you enough to Well, honestly a good horror movie will do that too. give you just enough to make it personally terrifying to you where this one gives you just enough to make it personally interesting to you. Um, And it comes from like, he just kind of mentions this in a little throwaway line where he he was saying like the things that were on his mind when he was making it, it was like, you know, guilt, shame, you know, the dangers of modernity, anxiety, all that fun stuff. And then he just says like, oh, like what what parents believe they owe us and what we believe we owe them. And that kind of got my Mm -hmm. wheels turning that like, this kind of can stand in for so uh, funny personal side too after i got out of the movie one of the first things that i called my mom and i'm like hi uh, i just saw a movie where someone uh has an awful mom and i couldn't relate to them so
1: good job no that's really sweet (laughs) (laughs) oh wholesome Uh, content man you're a good boy
0: (laughs) yeah where i was like man this guy seems stressed out all day and i could see why he would feel this way like i'd feel awful too if if this is how I was raised in the environment that, uh, like the mental environment that I was put in, it's like, wow, I can't relate to him. So that's nice, cool. Um, It did also like give me a little bit more uh, sympathy for, I'm by nature, not uh, very neurotic or anxious. If anything, I could probably use some more anxiety in my life uh, (laughs) or I should probably respond with more anxiety to some things when dealing or when talking to friends or not dealing when like talking with people and friends who have, who have that issue and uh, not suffer from it, but just have to, that's just a part of their the way that they see the world or the way that their minds are made up or however it works. I'm not a brain surgeon, uh, brain surgeon, a psychiatrist. Um, and sometimes like I do like almost get impatient to a point where I'm like, just like, just, just chill out, dude. It's fine. Like, no one wants to get you. It's okay. Like the, the world's not nearly as scary as you think. And then this movie yeah. is like, wow, I just sat in this guy's head for three hours and I'm so stressed. And yeah, so the world just- <laughs> is that scary. <laughs> like now I I, I it, it made me understand better where it's like people are aw- like the like people I know who have like anxiety issues and stuff like that, they they say it's like, I realize this. Like I understand that there's not someone on the other side of the door that has a knife that's ready. But it's like the best way of I had to explain, which this is what I felt through the entire movie. It's like if you just have a really low grade fighter flight all the time. And that's how I felt watching this movie. It's just like I had my heckles up for three straight hours. And there, were, there wasn't always reason for that. I was just always right. waiting for something bad to happen. And it always did in this case. Um, but but yeah, I, I called my mom and I was like, thanks for not being uh, the most evil neurotic parent on the planet or a giant cock monster. <laughs> oh, that's really nice. <laughs> uh, I also told her, uh, you don't want to watch this one, mother. But, yeah she wouldn't like it huh uh no not her not her cup of tea i did get her to see what we do in the shadows and she really liked that so that was that was a fun surprise oh, who uh, love that movie well my mom definitely loves mom movies like she's very much in that uh vein yeah, um and by mom movies you mean things that star tom hanks as you said before right things that star tom hanks like she really liked what was it 80 for brady was a big hit that uh oh, came wow. out lately.
1: <laughs> a peak mom that's, movie that's a grandma movie <laughs> Well, she's, she's dropping a you oh, okay she is a grandma so she was allowed in to
0: see that one um but uh yeah so it, it yeah i had the and i think you were mentioning this too where i was joking around with this like man i would hate to be ari aster's parents um when he makes movies the way he does and i think you were saying that from what you were reading or listening to it's like no he actually has an incredibly healthy relationship with his parents which is why he can explore these things because it's it's uh he can it's not, it doesn't cut so close to the bone for him, I guess.
1: Yeah. So I remember this really well. And it's, it's, a, it's certainly just a meme at this point is uh, when hereditary first came out and it was kind of taking Sundance by storm. Uh, and, you know, the horror community was very, very psyched about it. I was like, even watching interviews with him then, like well before the movie came out in wide release, like months before. And, uh, you know, it was always like the, the interviews would always start the same way. They'd be like, you okay (laughs) and then like he then hereditary came out he did a reddit ama the the top comment was just are you okay and uh you know you and i watched the same interviews uh uh with the same i forget i forget the the name of the gentleman on youtube um but you know he again he's like are you okay and uh so it's like a meme like people uh really assume that ari aster has like some just vicious demons and like had a terrible childhood because all of his like all of his movies are about all of his movies are about i think specifically except maybe midsummer
0: not a very
1: functional family we got going on right no no you know you're right you're right you're right (laughs) the brief time they're on screen um uh or even i'm saying all about his family as well right 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 they're like all about abuse like even his um his early films are about munchausen syndrome and then of course like hereditary certainly about that to an extent as well and like parents gaslighting their kids the strange thing about the johnsons is like literally about like sexual abuse of well it's a, interesting of a, that by a parent to their child so you say his
0: pre-feature film stuff are more explicit like very explicit abuse sexual abuse where in the three his theatrical releases, it is certainly abuse, but it's not the sort of visceral kind of abuse. It's those small slights that well, he he turns it up to eleven for the horror, but it's you know it's the equivalent of like that the one of the opening scenes in Bo is afraid where he calls his mom and says he just can't make it, and like just the way that conversation goes where she, she's just like pause and just <sighs> well, yeah. I'm sure you tried your best. Yeah, and the, word, like those the words little, themselves. Yeah. yeah, yeah, just those little um, nicks that
1: that right. accumulate over time. Microaggressions, yeah. one could say. Right. Well, I would I would certainly disagree about hereditary. The the like matriarch figure in hereditary, uh, literally gaslights all of her children into believing they're mentally unwell to the point that they har- physically harm themselves when really she's she's orchestrating all of it anyway we're not here to talk about hereditary but all this to say like i think a lot of people assume something's very fucking wrong with ari aster right and whenever he's asked directly about it he says no my parents are amazing like i have a wonderful relationship with them and my little brother he's like you know my parents were both artists like his 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 dad is like a professional painter and his mom's a professional poet and that those were their jobs that they used to support the family and it kind of like uh, sense that is raised by a painter. He definitely has that eye when it comes to sets. yeah. And uh, he says, no, like my parents I've never been made to feel like what I was making or talking about was wrong. Like I was never meant to question it. So like I feel've always felt really open to explore kind of really dark subjects. and um he 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 does say like he there are some things more in his extended family where people have dealt with like extreme grief and extreme trauma, and he, he has witnessed some of that but always um, in
0: not directly
1: yeah yeah so if if anything he's just in this perfect sort of goldilocks position to uh kind of bring these themes to life and be allowed to and be able to and have you know have the talent have the upbringing where he's he was able to foster that right. talent and uh but still was able to you know still has, has witnessed some some terrible things and this this does interesting fly in the face
0: not fly in the I mean it's it's a it's a myth i think most people after they grow up a little bit, they realize that, like, to be a good artist, that means you must be deeply disturbed in your yeah. soul and, and yeah. have this deep, wounded suffering uh, that you're expressing yeah. and, like, uh, almost exercising through your art. Um, I, yeah. I feel like you see
1: a lot more of it in music. Like, that's where it seems to be like, oh, at its most and movie, attractive. And, movie, and movies about music. And my, my very all time yeah, yeah. least favorite movie about music, Whiplash, is just <laughs> fucking just like master, just. Just fucking sandpaper masturbating over like the idea of you have to fucking harm yourself to be a good artist. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, it doesn't seem like Ari Aster has that point of view. Like he's he's yeah. he's kind of touching base on like a on some like things that are more or less universal. Like kind of being the one that can continues to, to go through. But yeah, I I, I very much. Am opposed to that idea that like the art always reflects the artist to that extent, as if these aren't creative people with vivid imaginations. Yeah, it's um, like you guys you know, not know that like it's uh, it's make believe. Like we can we can invent these things, right? Yeah, and and even some of the greatest songs ever written that are like clearly, very, deeply felt. Like sometimes you'll you know you'll, the the songwriter will be like, no, I just like I heard that story somewhere and I thought I'd adapt it into a song. And then, you know, that was, like, Operator by Jim Croce, you know, when it seems like it's very heartbroken.
0: I was literally listening to a podcast yesterday about that, about music in the 60s and the 70s. And, oh, I don't even remember the name of the band. It's a pretty big one. But they made a song about the Kent State Massacre. And it's like, they weren't there, but it was still, like, a very deeply felt song about it. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's the trick about this whole thing called empathy, which is so important in art, is being able to put your shoes in or put your feet in the shoes of someone else.
1: Yeah. And so just like the the idea that like people are out there and it's this, you know, it's like this idea that seems very popular that this filmmaker in particular must be like troubled in some way or in an extreme way even here's an interesting
0: uh, comparison because it's going to come up at some point with this movie to uh, Schenectady in new york and charlie coffin in general yeah and i think that's where the two tonally are a little different or at least ari aster films versus charlie coffin films or especially like it's always been kind of in the back of my mind there's some shared dna but now it's pretty clear where yeah. ari aster kind of steps around what i would call and I like Charlie Coffin, but when someone calls him masturbatory, I'm like, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That, I mean, I get it, well, um, and I and- feel like it kind of avoids. is afraid, kind of avoids this one because it's not so solipsistic.
1: No, it isn't. Um, and and I've I've seen that critique leveled against it that people do think it is, and like they say that, oh, this movie so alienating if you're not a troubled person, or if like if you don't relate to Bo this movie is a slog and it's like what that is such bullshit now this movie is this movie is like entertaining and funny and scary oh it's and, hilarious and, and, oh my god no the, the like, final I punchline
0: of of a movie about a man who needs to come i was howling when that punchline finally hit
1: oh man And we are talking about the mariah carey needle drop One of the fun, maybe the funniest moment in any 2023 movie thus far. Oh is uh, So Bo lives his entire life under the impression that his father died at the moment of climax during his, during his conception. And his mother has convinced him that if he has sex or if he ejaculates, he will die. He finally hooks up with his childhood crush. Now that they're both like in their 40s. Yeah, he comes real hard. He comes so hard. Uh to, to always be my baby by uh, by Mariah Carey, that he just freezes her in time. I don't even think he kills her, he just he literally stops her. I
0: mean permanently. I mean, I mean I've been there too. Am I right, fellas?
1: Yeah, we've all we've all done that.
0: <laughs> you ever you ever you know give it to a gal so good she literally gets paralyzed? Yeah, she just free freezes, she just get, I, like, gets like love- I'm curious. I would love to see the behind the scenes for the mannequins made for the actress after she's dead. Cause that is a yeah. stiff ass mannequin.
1: <laughs> yeah, no. And she's like frozen in like the cowgirl position. So it's like, oh, it's yeah. like not a natural position to remain in at all. No, there's no way you could have support. a physical actress sitting there like that. Right, right. So, like, yeah, what was the behind the scenes? Like, what kind of what did they do to Parker Posey to like kind of make that cast? Uh, does, <laughs> does Ari Aster still have it? Uh, <laughs> What's
0: he doing with it?
1: Yeah. Like these are the, uh, these are the answers that uh, we need. So yeah. So I'm, if I, if I ever get to interview Ari Aster and I intend to, I'm not going to ask him, are you okay? I'm going to ask, Hey, wh- where's that? uh, Where's that Parker Posey doll? <laughs> could you could you let us know uh, just uh, an address maybe uh,
0: where the where it might be for you know her personal yeah
1: um so reasons i want i want to want to move on a little bit um one thing <laughs> that i uh, one thing that it's like that is a through line of all 3 of Ari Aster's movies is they all deal with a main character who's experiencing like a monumental loss and was going through like the throws no good awful very bad day well no just like specifically they've lost someone really someone or some people really close to them unexpectedly or tragically and we we get a full view of their reaction to it and one thing that really struck me about both hereditary and also midsommar is they uh they both feature scenes where the the lead actress gets to go full bored reacting to a sudden death of their family mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. both um tony collette and florence Pugh, there they they get in their performance they get to go all the way into these just piercing wailing just the rows of grief you know just uh hysterical as anyone would be in the, that scenario right and that's the way that Ari Aster clearly has directed them to be because their performances are remarkably similar in those two movies. Yeah. Like the, the way, the, the place they get to is, is like identical almost. In Bo's Afraid, like I'll admit that, you know, this movie has a different style. But Bo's reaction is sort of this like detached, almost like frozen, just like numbness, just like dejection. And I'm wondering, yes or no, is that sexist? So yeah, you have that, you had in the notes and that, that was something that
0: honestly never, it didn't, uh, I wasn't clocking it while I was watching the movie and that was, it got my my mind going on that. And, and you see it, yeah, in all three movies where um, like Hereditary is another example where you see the grief of the sun when, uh, well, spoilers for Hereditary, you've probably seen also, it. Already. Also just detached numbness, yeah. Right, yeah, yeah, detached numbness um where you all where you see the grief of the uh, tony collette where she is just howling uh similar to yeah florence Pugh in Midsummer. i guess there isn't a grieving woman in this one
1: uh but yeah i would say i could see what yeah, there is about. yeah there is there's a lady who loses her daughter and she immediately she loses oh, her mind oh oh and sends and sends the the guy from the beginning of inglorious bastards after oh
0: my god yeah uh pretty much the uh full metal jacket guy if he would have stayed in the military uh and not blown his head off i think i think ultimately i don't i'm not picking that up because i don't think he's doing it as like uh it's like these are the proper way like uh, these are all are deeply troubled characters so he's showing their response actually even I would say even the Florence Pugh case, I mean, that was shown as cathartic, as like kind of good, like as like this is how you should respond to this. Like at the at end when she's story. surrounded
1: by the other women. Yeah, I'm talking about the beginning. I'm talking about the beginning oh, of Midsummer oh. when it when it when it still is in the hereditary aesthetic and not ah, in the yeah, Man yeah. aesthetic. Okay, okay, yeah. yeah. Um, ever notice how the first 15 minutes of Midsomar look like hereditary and then it's yeah, I never looking like hereditary.
0: I really never thought about that. That's interesting. And that would have been really cool if the first chunk of Bo is Afraid felt like Midsommar. That would have been interesting. But, no, because I think, I mean, the movie is very clear on uh, what it thinks about these responses, um, especially with the male response I'm keeping it to Bo is Afraid. Like, I mean, it's showing that Bo is... Is repressed, he's incapable yeah. of right. of mourning, of moving on, of for lack of a better word, releasing. He's got a bad uh, <laughs> oh boy, he's he's not very good at releasing, tension. he is not. Um, yeah. so the the muted response is while yeah, it makes sense, like it fits that it's it is like a uh, a stereotypically male uh, response to to trauma. It's also it works for the particular character because it's it's a character moment where it's showing like bo can't grieve he's incapable of this right um so, and yeah and I, I i see your point with a lot a lot of the uh the setup for the characters and the way they interact there they're they're they are li- relying on what in less delicate hands could be sexist tropes like you know the overbearing jewish mother and you've got uh Bo, the doting son who can never be enough the absent father um I'm trying to think of other characters the, yeah, the, the, you know, you got, uh, the, just the, the, teen. the m- most evil teenage girls I've ever seen put to screen ever. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. I want to, I want to talk about actually the, the teenage girls and how brilliant those characters are. Mm. Um, well let me get to that. Cause like that's, that kind of wraps around a couple specific, more philosophical points I want to get to, but yeah. you know, I, I want to be clear that I think that annie in hereditary and danny in midsommar their response to the tragedy is what i th- what i would consider to be the normal relatable kind of true to life uh yeah because then think you know, of for, uh, what's the father's name
0: where the father's just like walking
1: in hereditary where he's just like uh oh, man he's uh, a zombie yeah yeah he's just like bewildered and i don't like- know maybe Maybe I just have a touch of the feminine in me, but I'm I'm more I'm more of a whaler. Well, no, this is this is interesting. I never really thought about how he
0: explores gender in all his films, good, bad, and ugly. I think he uh, is very honest about how he explores gender. Um, which, I mean, as we've talked about, we're honest to him, and we've talked about this with like Bakshi, where we can agree, we can disagree, we can have critiques of. His viewpoint but it there's it's undeniable that it's genuinely coming from him and i think aster is the same where it's like he all three of the movies are exploring gender but i i think i ultimately give him like the the the, the gold star not a sexist pass uh because i think it's it's a genuine exploration and yeah maybe there are some warts here and there but like ye
1: without sin cast the first stone yeah got it you know um yeah, I, I don't want to open up a, a too much of a can of worms with that. It's just something that struck me as like a broader conversation. Is he he is expo- he explores grief very directly in his movies in an, in a more honest way than almost I've ever seen in anything. Uh, actually, up until Succession a couple weeks back, yeah, I, it, it did strike me that he does seem to have a template for the way that women process it versus the way that mm. men do. Um, so I thought we'd discuss. That that teen girl. So the character. Oh my Tony, god! They're so I, evil. The the, the daughter of, of Nathan Lane and Amy Ryan's character. Oh my god! Uh, Tony, who I have to assume is named after her namesake Tony Colette, um, who definitely has hereditary energy. Oh yeah. Um, I, I you could definitely read her as evil. My interpretation or my my belief there is that is one character like there's a few characters that do this, but that's the character that fully embraces the idea of absurdism like as a as oh, an actual yeah. an actual movement. So like she is the character that has she's she's the the proper age and in the proper um kind of setting to fully embody this whole notion that life is utterly devoid of meaning. And uh oh, wait,
0: quick question cuz this this will be relevant uh, to my response. Do you think we're on the east or the west coast in this movie? It feels like the east coast to me.
1: I thought it was the west coast. Interesting.
0: I thought we were in the bay area for most of the movie. I could see that too.
1: But anyways, maybe, go on. maybe it's maybe I just I just if this movie's full of people from the east coast, maybe that's what did it for me. I could I could be wrong. I just I see Patty Lapone and Nathan Lane and I think that this <laughs> yeah, is New yeah,
0: yeah. York. Um anyway, sorry, I, I but, sidetracked it. But
1: here. but uh you know uh this movie definitely I think I would I would argue firmly plants its foot in the sort of cinematic tradition of surrealism where like yeah, everything thinking bu- Bunuel at points. Yeah, like everything is like this heightened reality or this warped reality that you know in its uh aesthetic unreality points at a deeper truth, right? Yeah. But absurd. whole lying to tell the truth kind of thing. Yeah. And that was, that was possible uh, in like a visual medium, like film or, or, or painting or sculptor, sculpture. sculpture. Um, the, the absurdist tradition sort of does a similar thing, but within the confines of, of the stage or the novel or, uh, the oral tradition right and uh you don't see it a lot
0: I'm are sorry. we gonna talk about
1: brecht yeah well brecht we definitely we definitely need to talk <laughs> we're gonna talk about brecht in just a minute because i this this movie like actually is has so much like theater in it um oh, and tons. particularly the like God damn it, we're, we're going in a bunch of directions. Let me just talk about the character Tony real quick because she embodies like the kind of the the archetypal absurdist character in that she has completely given in to the the meaninglessness of her life where she literally is just like this uh, just chaos personified. Like nothing she does seems to be to an, a specific end. Like she just wants, she's just like an agent of chaos it's of just, absurdity yeah, pure hedonism just pure well just pure like just like the, a personification of entropy really <laughs> like um like literally oh like, my god she, like paint, she, guzzling she, drink, she yeah like her ah. drinking paint is something that like beckett wishes he could have had one of his characters do on stage or that Brett wishes he could have had one of his characters do on stage. Or um, like the expressionists um, who were like mm-hmm. writing for the theater and, you know, didn't quite live long enough to be able to make a movie. <laughs> That's yeah. an interesting side point is this movie actually, um, it, interesting th- it interestingly
0: felt dated. Like this is a movie that could have been made in the 90s and it would have made sense because of this sort of disposition that you're talking about. Um Like it's got like all these hallmarks of especially, I would say like a lot of the postmodern literature that was coming out at the time. Like Mm -hmm. a lot of Pynchon, a lot of DeLillo, a lot of David Foster Wallace. Like where the characters, it's it's tragic, it's comic, it's kind of scary. Everyone's a a little heightened, a little ridiculous. Um, And it's like, it's pointing things at like, oh, modernity, you know, it's kind of meaningless kids
1: yeah and i mean and the like the absurdist movement like was pointing at that the hardest in like the 30s 40s 50s 60s some some would argue that the greeks were doing it like like the (laughs) the myth of sisyphus is just about the which a literal the guy
0: who started the idea the philosophical tradition of absurdism yeah has an essay called the myth of sisyphus so that makes sense
1: Right, right. Yeah. So like that's that's what kind of people point out is like this is the example of like life being devoid of meaning if like you're just doing this kind of mundane imagining just re- re- happy and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can't and uh like that's what Tony this 15-year-old girl like I would say probably a lot of teenagers are feeling, you know, go- like going on is pointless, so it might as well just like embody just utter utter fucking unease in a person. But Joker mode. My- She's one of my favorite characters because of that. Um, she behaved the way like the, an antagonist in a Eugene Ionesco play would be, would <laughs> behave. Like if you've ever read read or seen *The Bald Soprano*, it's like a really kick ass absurd play. Uh, this 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 movie actually, I think, clearly owes a debt to Ionesco's *Rhinoceros* um, for wow. uh, actually the the discerning horror fan will will know uh, that George A. Romero took a lot of inspiration f- from for uh, his zombies. Uh, so like night of the living dead. So, like, R- Rhinoceros is about a play is, is a play about basically society where something is turning people into rhinoceros monsters. There's some, there's some people that don't want to be rhinoceros monsters. so They, they kind of lock themselves in a, in a building and, and sort of mm. ramble, ramble to mm. each other to for themselves. a couple. Yeah. And just kind of ramble nonsense at each other for a couple of hours. And, uh, mm this and i think this movie kind of had a very similar vibe with the apartment at the beginning because when i was watching it i was like wow this really feels like a zombie movie but just with people who just whose yeah. kind of re- regular behavior is dialed up interesting but. aside there where i remember because I, I was
0: talking to uh, everyone i have a girlfriend okay i i have mm. i have a girlfriend everyone uh, we'll stop for the applause break Okay, cool. Um, so I was talking to her about the movie too. And like my my description of the opening episode where it's like, this is, I mean, maybe this is why I think Bo lives in the west coast. Cause I live in the west coast. The, the street scenes of just the bedlam and the depravity yeah. and the violence. I was like, oh, this is like what every, what every one of your shitty conservative uncles that only watches yeah. Fox news that lives in the yeah. middle of the country thinks that every coastal city is like. Or
1: what they will be like once they defund the police?
0: Yeah, yeah. Once, once we don't let the cops, you know, uh, whoop the shit out of anyone walking around the streets. Yeah. This is
1: what they're <laughs> keeping from happening. Except the oh the, my uh, god, that city with the cop! The, the, I the the forgot about that, that. The city that Bo no. lives in has not defunded the police, and that cop.
0: That cop it's is just the least... pointing the gun at him. Bo's got he... his hands up. He's like, don't make me do it. Don't
1: make me do it. Yeah. So yeah, that's the one character who is not at all exaggerated in the film. Uh, <laughs> is the the cop who's begging Bo not to make him oh my God. shoot him. Please don't make me Bo
0: murder you in cold blood.
1: And I... Bo is his hands up, clearly surrendering. Um, oh, yeah, man. so uh, uh, I... All that to say, I think that there there's like an absurdism like in theater that doesn't really get explored in movies. There's a surrealism in movies and other visual mediums that don't can't really fully get explored in kind of non-visual mediums. And this movie kind of does both and like takes its mm. time, like with an extended kind of play within a play type of type of scene where Bo meets a literal theater troupe.
0: Who my are favorite kind of, part
1: communal living out in the woods and uh this is where brecht comes in because they specifically there's a line where this the guy specifically says oh you know this is the kind of play where we really want to invite our audience in and of course like Bo sees like the most like his ideal life play out in front of him where which is then completely the allusion to that is completely shattered it's kind of funny because a lot of people feel alienated by the movie the theater ends up alienating Bo as well and i think that's like very very brechtian is just like not like not letting the audience in and like any kind of audience participation has to be on the audience side of the stage in like the real world rather than like you know lose yourself in this escapism right and like in in beau is afraid it's just so funny that the like theater troupe is like very much yeah we're gonna like this this whole thing is about the communion between audience and actor and then uh when Bo like actually does kind of get kind of experiences that that thing that the theater artists really love to strive for it, it gets really abruptly ended <laughs> yeah let me
0: let me here's my pet theory uh, let me explain yeah. Bo
1: is afraid here. Bo
0: is afraid. Explain the deeper meanings. Here you go, folks. This is what you tuned in for. Um, but yeah, th- this this scene like of the episodes, I would say there's what? Four or five major episodes? There's his apartment. There's the surgeon's place. There's the woods. There's his mom's place. There's the final judgment. I would say
1: those are the major episodes. Um, yeah. Am I missing one? Well, uh so I mean there there's I I feel like there's bookends. Like we we the movie starts with kind of like an extended sequence of point, point of view of Fetus Bo, who's then born, oh Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I would say like, the major and,
1: like and then the major and then, plot points.
0: Yeah. Um, and yeah. of course there's always the sides and there's flashbacks to his childhood and, and all that fun stuff. Actually, I'm already thinking it's kind of funny that they're on a cruise ship, because of course they are on a cruise ship. The wood scene is very interesting to me because uh, uh tuning back into the uh, the theme that i was thinking about which is what do we owe our parents what do our parents owe us and i i i kind of expanded that out about what do we owe those who came before us about the world that they built that we are inheriting and uh what do they owe us and then consequently what do we owe the people behind us or that are going to come next in front of us what do we owe our kids um just generation generationally it's just like more on a macro level and i think this uh the the wood scene is kind of looking into that and looking to this sort of narcissism that i think every generation has i would say the biggest example of this is the hippie generation where it's like all right everyone we've we're on the scene now so now everything's gonna change we're the special ones we have all the right ideas uh we're gonna get all the bad people out we're gonna get the good people in and it's going to be free love and 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 equality forever cuz uh the good the good youths are here and like you and you see that they're not unique in that like every generation i feel like when everyone turns about 20 to 25 and they start learning how the world works and they start participating it's like oh everything's so fucked up well it's a good thing we've shown up on the scene cuz we yeah. see it we know and yeah, we're going to uh- change
1: it yeah, exactly. Like, oh, we just got to wait for the old people to die so they can't vote and we can vote. Yeah, right? I mean, It'll be different it's, and better and now.
0: You, you hear that cynical response. was like, oh, man, global warming so bad. But when all the old people die, like climate change denial is going to be gone. And now we're going to live in this utopia. It's like, oh, that's no. cute. That's No, that's, there's always uneducated conservatives. No oh, no, I'm not even saying uneducated. I'm saying educated people, Uh, people who know how everything works. And like, it's the idea that like, oh, if we just gave everyone the right information, we all would come to the correct conclusions and then we'd have a utopia. It's like, no, that's not human beings aren't perfectly rational. We we operate on different level on different motivations or or conflicting motivations in a lot of uh, ways. And the the play within the woods, what's important to couch this in There are two things before the play even starts one. It's very clear i'm i'm taking everything that happens in this movie which maybe we can argue this everything that's happening in this movie is presented as actually happening it's not Bo exaggerating it it's not right. his anxiety making things worse i'm believing everything we see actually happens yeah okay yeah i was thinking of like every absurd thing that happened i was like wait is there an exception no i think everything that we see on screen actually happens to Bo. And so it's very clear. And uh, from what you can tell from the, the visual evidence is it's about today. Like, I think it's maybe the near future, but it can't be any later than like 2025. I don't know, kind of like, you know, like a children of men situation where it's like this yeah. is reality just like kind of pushed a little further and heightened a little harder. And, and so the, you can easily see within that world, which, you know, Ari Aster's world is incredibly built out. So it, it makes this world feel more fleshed out when you see the people have kind of rejected it when he gets basically he gets he flees into the woods. Uh, very quick explanation because he uh, there was a surgeon and a, uh, and his wife, who's like the member of a board of directors of some sort. It's it's vague what she does. But long story short, she's a girl boss. They she probably works.
1: She probably works for MW probably yeah yeah (laughs) i know we find out actually we find out later that she does oh she does which it's very important we haven't mentioned that mw
0: which is like amazon on steroids is uh his mom bo's mom is the founder and the ceo owns the world basically pretty much yeah she has everything from which has the label everything from media to pharmaceuticals to security cameras to vehicles like food yeah if it exists she, oh yeah the she, housing her,
1: the, the the movie itself mw yeah, is it's, the product is the production house of is afraid it's itself. so good um basically did this you, not, world... you not catch that no i didn't actually right I at, just, yeah, I yeah right at right right the very first thing and the, when they're going that's well, actually so they put it right in the middle of like right after a24 and before ari aster's that's so kind of collective it's you know mw as like the second basically like, like logo What what I think
0: is most relevant is this is a world that is completely privatized. There is no public sector. There is no communal uh, community chest. I don't know if I uh, use a monopoly term. Everything is run by the free market, by the private market, and there there's no fetters on them, which like weird. Can't relate to that. Don't
1: know what that Uh, looks like. You're you're going to be talking about the nanny state now? (laughs) <laughs> yeah I, I, well you 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 use that phrase and i was like i've literally never heard that before so i you looked never it heard nanny and, state yeah you know. it's, it's actually ironic because nanny state is usually used by conservatives but
0: so what's relevant to the 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 commune that uh that make puts on these plays is that they're, they're sort of a, the one example in the entire movie of people who have rejected this current uh, order everyone else kind of lives within the bounds of the rules for better for worse mostly for worse and Bo stumbles upon it because he escapes this, like almost like a parasite house, like from the movie *Parasite*, mm-hmm. of these wealthy parents and their the their comically evil daughter. And they also, uh, importantly, uh, they have a son who died in what war? I, I think it was very funny that it was so arbitrary. What country is like Guatemala? And they were yeah, talking about it, no, in, it was... in such like glowing terms, that it's so clear. it was a country chosen. It's like, oh, we were probably doing evil shit in there more than likely. Uh, and no, more...
1: it was Venez- it was Venezuela, Venezuela. Yeah, he, so... he died He died fighting in Caracas is what they kept saying yeah,
0: where it's it's important to note that, like pretty much every intervention that we've had in Latin America has been for business interests, and this person works for mW. so i'm I'm at least choosing to connect the dots that her son probably died fighting for the interests of companies like mw but under the guise of you know the u.s and freedom and democracy and
1: who's um, to say that mw doesn't have a private army army and is using it to fight proxy wars in venezuela well that's
0: also a very real thing too uh well
1: not mw but real life
0: companies uh blackrock for example but um but they have um one of his old comrades is living in their home because he's just ptsd addled to the core this is a shell of a man he is nothing but a war dog at this point and uh the surgeon has him beautifully drugged up on mw drugs Mm -hmm. so there's like this full circle like really darkly poetic thing where it's like this man uh this family their son dies in a war that probably benefited the bottom line of that family and they're taking care of one of his comrades that oh also they mention uh just in a throwaway line that he was caught doing friendly fire so like it's kind of implied that he probably killed their son uh yeah or at least yeah it's it's at least thrown out there that perhaps he did um right and he's just this guy's bonkers he has no
1: attachment to reality whatsoever and yeah. you eventually realize and, that and not not nearly as handsome as dan stevens playing the same role in the guest <laughs>
0: <laughs> ah, oh a throwback to our very first recording yeah he kind of looks like the guy from full metal jacket like the opening scene yeah, uh, a- or the opening sequences of full metal
1: jacket uh where he's literally he- played by the guy from uh in the very first scene of *Inglorious Bastards that has the oh, really yeah. really intense extended dialogue with Christoph Waltz. Uh-huh, anyway, uh-huh. sorry, I, just, I I discovered that and I was like, that's where I know him from. Yeah, um, yeah, that's so, amazing. Sorry stuff. to cut you off, man. But so you and uh, what's
0: important about all this which is going before the uh the commune in the woods scenes is that uh Beau escapes essentially. He realizes these guys are well the daughter well basically they mean him harm like he will not be doing Mm -hmm. well if he sticks around and he escapes and um they it goes from them like managing this guy and like oh he's fine like we, we, he's a little messed up like we try to take care of him to once that he is useful to these very upper class wealthy people it's like go get him boy yeah, uh, go go attack where Bo also has he has a tracker on his foot that was supposed to be a quote unquote health monitor but now it's being served as a tracker it probably always was a tracker but um, yeah. now this you know this PTSD addled victim of American imperialism is now going after Bo uh, and he is trained he is psycho and he is drugged up similarly to how like the Nazis put steroids in their GIs yeah. to, or steroids in oh, what was the drug did they invent speed or meth Math, yeah. Okay, so he's pretty much like a a methed up, just PTSD addled psychopath that's going, that's running after Bo who he has a tracking device on. So this is happening the whole time that Bo stumbles into the woods and he kind of finds what you could call, this is the one example of like an alternative way of being. A different set of rules where uh, the, the chaos and the stress and the, the anxiety of being alive in this world is sort of it's covered over where their response to everything that you've seen in this world is like, well, fuck it, we're out, we're, we're not going to participate. We're going off the grid. You know how every, they're going cottage core uh, for the kids in the room. And and it kind of it's, it's very interesting where he he's slowly adapting to it. Of course, he meets like a very pretty woman, pretty pregnant woman, which becomes relevant later that she like got like he stumbles upon her she brings him to their commune it's it's you know they're they're, they're doing plays they're making art it, it seems like this beautiful utopian alternative and in a lot of ways it is um and then they they put on this play for like you were saying this brechtian play and you immediately it immediately starts taking this turn where Bo is inserting himself into the play and and it's like this I guess this is maybe why I also think this is California, where all the scenery and all the way that it's talking about this, like, in this almost biblically epic tone, almost Garden of Eden-esque. Like, it really reminded me of, of East of Eden the whole time, where I thought I was watching, like, some kind of John Steinbeck kind of play and and it's it's discussing these themes of like breaking the chains of your uh relations that are holding you down and and exploring out into the unknown and and deciding to to venture out into places where your imagination maybe isn't capable of understanding quite yet and and seeing alternative ways of being and living, and and taking care of one another in a much more communal way. And in the middle of that, and it, it it ends quite beautifully, honestly. Um, where he, long story short, like he has, he gets a wife, kids, they get separated, and he reunites with his children. Uh, and not to, it would take way too long to explain the <laughs> the layers of meta commentary that's going on when that happened. There's like eight, there's like six layers going on at that point. It's absurd well literally absurd but in the middle of this like touching moment in this like what you kind of feel like is going to be the culmination of like oh here's bo's character growth moment he's going to realize that he (laughs) needs to break free this ptsd adult drugged up super soldier just bursts into the woods and just start a uh, semi-automaticing Everyone did brrr, across everybody just through everyone stretch. Yeah. and and it makes a very clear message that like, um alternative ideas and alternative ways of living will be met with incredible violence, whether or not it's literally physical, which we could see in cases like actually currently Venezuela or even Brazil right now or like the more the softer kind of violence where it's like these ideas are not allowed to be discussed they're outside of what's called the overton window where it's something that like you can't talk about ideas or certain ideas in like public debates or like you know like the idea like right now we're we're looking down the barrel of trump biden 2024 um, mm-hmm. again And it's like, and there's no alternative. We just can't look at an alternative. They don't exist, so stop looking for it. Even the idea of imagining outside of that box is kind of not allowed and is met with violence, whether it's, you know, spiritual, rhetorical, or physical in some cases. Like countries that want to nationalize their own resources instead of selling it off to multinational corporations like Shell or Exxon, they are met with violence. And I think this is like a good, it's like a good distillation because it takes the, the, the theme of Bo and his mother and expands it, at least in my mind, to people our age or, or just like people of between throughout history, people between the ages of like, I don't know, 20 to 40 and everyone else older than them, the people who, um, maybe they won't live to see the consequences of their action. And they're just like, like we were talking about with first reform where it's like, well, Paul Schrader has a different viewpoint on global warming where he, of course he understands that it's catastrophic and he understands, uh, what's coming down the pipeline, but it's just not going to happen to him. So it's just not that visceral to him. And I think down that's,
1: the pipeline. Ah, ah, the old pipeline. Um, but um the pipeline <laughs> if we gotta do There Will Be Blood at some point. Oh, that'll be a good one. That's 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 a movie I wanna see. I wanna see how to blow up a pipeline versus Daniel Plainview. Oh man. Oh, if Daniel Plainview was in How to Blow up a pipeline, they wouldn't say yeah, the fucking hands. Like if they had they they had a formidable antagonist to go up against.
0: Oh my god. But basically yeah, that, that became one of the more interesting things about the movie where it connected, because this is a very, I, I would say it's a very personal movie or the tone is very personal. It's very much about personal anguish, very much about um, the demons that are in within. And, but that, that idea of like expanding that relationship between Bo and his mother to the relationship that we all have to those who have, maybe not created the conditions that we're currently under but they certainly um, fostered it and passed it on to us and then the question that the the, like the hippie commune in the woods poses is like okay we have uh we have inherited these conditions we cannot help that that is outside of our control what has happened leading up to us being old enough to start controlling that okay now what do we do about it and i think it kind of shows the arrogance of, I mean, anyone, any human being where they think just because the fact that uh, we are alive right now and that we know that things are fucked, that for some reason, just by knowing that we're going to fix everything. It's all going to be good. We just need to wait for the olds to die and then we will start building our utopia. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's precious that's it's very nice that we think that but that that ain't how that works uh and and we have a lot of examples actually i was reading a book uh i, th- I think it was about a year ago now it's called no logo by uh, naomi klein it's a very good book and it's um and it's basically like I don't think she realized it at the time because I, I was reading it in 2021 where she was writing it in the early 2000s and it was about like the anti-corporate anti like multinational struggle against like companies like nike or gap or like people it's like clearly they're employing slave labor and and it's awful and it's the idea of like let's let's try and tear this down and it, and it had all this like optimism and it had all not optimism but it had this like righteous indignation and you you, you felt this sense that it's like oh the 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 anti-corporate people and the the radicals of the 90s like we're we're gonna we're gonna finally take them down like this is gonna be the last straw and like (laughs) and and really the whole time I read this like it just read like a eulogy in 2022 I'm like oh oh it gets so much worse so much worse kids so it it does like I don't know if he meant to put this in there and I I think great artists put things in there accidentally just because they they feel things, or they they can convey things deeply, uh, very easily, very adeptly, and it, it it does pose that question of like, okay, we we know this is what it's like to be alive now. We know what causes. What are we gonna do about it? And <laughs> the the movie kind of the the movie. I think I, mean, I think it condemns Bo. I don't think it. I don't think it, it lands on like Bo is good. His mom is bad. I'm I'm I think it's more like they're both they're both links in a chain of just horrible abuse that goes back generations and will probably continue for generations unless some major rupture happens.
1: Yeah. Well, and I guess that's the thing about uh about artists is they answers or like next steps from there. They. uh might not be wasting their time making movies. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, there's plenty
0: of political artists. I mean, think like a Boots Riley or some. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, no, you're right. Um, one thing that kept jumping out at me is Bo himself as the sort of symbol of this like bullshit conservative culture war where like masculinity is being broken down and abandoned ah. like, the old the old you know the, like how kind of modern society is kind of stripping men of their of their masculinity or their kind of old school like place in society well, really like, needs to
0: do is grow a beard fuck a woman
1: and chop some wood <laughs> right yeah well which he, <laughs> he he does he does in the play to play with a yeah. <laughs> <to> play. Literally <laughs> he does, he does do all, those all those very things. he does all those very things. Yeah. <laughs> um he just needs to chop all the wood. And uh I yeah, I, I think that that is actually intentional. And I think it's uh I think it's um the reasons why Bo is Afraid itself is a good title, even compared to Disappointment Boulevard. Uh the original title of the movie is O itself is literally like a word that means man or male or boy. Um, so like I think like we see like a lot in this is like this you know this male figure who's named after a, a generic term for a male. His agency kind of gets broken down by the by the feminine in his life, and uh, you know, by the way, like none of that shit is real. Like there's like any any sort of any sort of like norm, like like as far as gender goes, like it's all just a construct anyway, right? So like that sort of thing breaking down isn't real. Like there's still right. Like you know, I don't think still... that Ari Aster is bemoaning the loss of manly men. No, 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 no. I think I think he is basically, if anything, he's extending that sort of conservative nightmare and making it real, even though it's fake. And like and basically like making it look ridiculous, making it look absurd. Yeah. And, uh, like, you see it, through, like, the, like, throughout the whole movie, Bo loses more and more and more of his masculinity, even though he has, like, nary a drop of it at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, and even when he, like, asserts his masculinity, even when he, like, you know, comes inside a woman, it doesn't go the way he planned. <laughs> um, and literally, That's there the is, there is, is he's like...
0: He's like, like, oh, man, you blew through the bag.
1: I was like, Ugh, "Oh, multi damn. Good, good thing you're like 50 um <laughs> bo should bo should not be a father no um, <laughs> well
0: i mean she she shouldn't have been a mother um well and we we kind of have been uh let's let's flip over if we're talking about like um you know masculinity and the 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 fake moral fear about or moral panic about it and the nanny state where the nanny state I guess if, yeah if, if if when I put that in the outline if that's a new term for you at least the way I understand it is like this idea that uh, or at least conservatives throw out there where it's like the government wants big to government be, yeah yeah b- big government TM uh, wants to be your mom wants to be your parents they want to look after you they want they want to tell you what to think. How to behave, how to be a person. Like, don't, don't do your thinking for you. The nanny state is here for you, which is like absurd and doesn't exist. Like, if anything, the nanny state, if we're thinking about the thing that is more uh, nudging our behavior and, and the way that we see the world, is not the state. It's people like Bo's mom who runs uh, uh, something that makes Amazon look like a small mom and pop shop.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, I think there is like uh, literally that that aspect of like, you know, Bo like Bo's life being the the microcosm of that sort of moral panic. But again, like I don't think it's Aster bemoaning that as a real thing. I think it's uh if anything, it's just like kind of acknowledging that those ideas exist and then shining a crazy spotlight on them to well, kind of show I'm the scenes actually
0: where i like the the fears of surveillance and the fears of coercion should be directed at which is not uh i don't know uh i mean it should still be the nsa and the department of homeland security and and people like that um of course they they should be critiqued and uh we should be wary of it but it's also well okay what's a good example is this current panic about TikTok uh that we're trying to ban TikTok, where you know the quickest response to that is like, okay, if we're gonna ban TikTok, cool. Okay. Uh yeah, they they steal date they harvest data, they sell it to advertisers. Yeah. If we don't like that, uh bye bye Facebook, bye Google, bye bye Amazon, bye bye, well, uh
1: um, those are those are all American companies. Like the, yeah, the well, problem you with see, TikTok is it's communist China owning right. the data. Um but yeah what I'm getting at is that uh the
0: nanny state that we're also afraid of uh is not part of the state it's uh run by zuckerberg it's not run by biden great so when yeah so when we're looking at like TikTok and so afraid of the 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 surveillance that it's there it's like great i don't like surveillance either let's be consistent about that and where we're gonna attack and ban and regulate people with surveillance if we really want to do that do you really want to do that guys because a lot of companies in the u.s
1: are about to be a little upset Well, I—I mean, again, I—I don't. Well, I guess it gets dicey because I—you're—you're technically not allowed to like create laws that target just one specific private entity, right? Like, like what Ron DeSantis is trying to do to Disney, like what he's getting sued over. Yeah, I'm—I'm not sure if like how that would apply with like TikTok versus American companies
0: yeah the real the most analysts i've read and just from what i've seen from the trials, like i don't think tiktok's getting banned it's just like a funny cultural uh, protracted moment where uh we're so afraid of the surveillance state that tiktok is creating through china and it's it's undoubted that china does have things that we could call a surveillance state it's like okay great let's put those let's set those standards that we're so scared of and apply it to here how does that look are we so unsurveilled here
1: Oh no, I, I, my, my employer owns the biometric data of my palm print. I (laughs) I use it to buy things while I'm at the office.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous to assume that, that for some reason, if it's a private entity instead of a
1: public entity, that it's just benign inherently for some reason. Right. And it's literally just because like, there's, there's like this sort of, there's this, story behind it of like you know just this was at one point just normal people created this what is now this ginormous government-sized entity and so it's not yeah, as I mean, bad as walmart like the, alone boogie, the actual bigger. boogeyman government
0: yeah walmart alone has a bigger economy than uh, i think they're like they would be the size of germany if they were
1: a country there's cer- like, certainly certainly uh probably at least a 100 american uh Corporations who have a GDP that exceeds that of Venezuela. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, like, yeah, so I mean, Walmart, Walmart. If you if you want to invade Venezuela, you probably can. They, yeah, they probably would and succeed. They could afford an army they, bigger than Venezuela. No, accessory. they they stop they stop selling bullets actually
0: at Walmart. So they're not oh, they're well, not as ar- Well, armed okay, as they well, once were. I'm glad that the gun issue is over now because of that. You can just buy the AKs, just not the bullets. Um, well, not, but what's not important- in the state of Washington, you can't. <laughs> what's important that is that up. when uh when Walmart invades Venezuela, at least they'll have greeters at the door, like random old people just hello, welcome to Walmart, mess.
1: Venezuela. Aww. That sounds nice. <laughs> um, um okay, let's let's put this title thing to bed because uh oh, yeah, I yeah. have a strong opinion on what's the better title. Uh so for those of you who don't know, uh for while well, this movie was in production I mean, kind of long before like its working title that it was announced under was disappointment boulevard and just maybe i don't know six months ago maybe even less than that it became Bo is afraid i started a heated debate over which like is the superior title
0: the change i think the change is good
1: Go uh, disappointment
0: boulevard immediately puts it in a box on what this movie is about it's about Bo disappointing his parents. So that it like locks it into like, okay, that's what you need to be primed for the whole movie where Bo is afraid is a, it's a little more visceral. It's a little sexier. You're like, Bo's afraid, what's he afraid of? Like what, what, what's mm-hmm. scaring Bo? Yeah. And that's the question, that's what you see a lot. Well, actually let's answer this question.
1: What's Bo afraid of? Coming.
0: <laughs> well, yeah um that's that's for damn sure he's afraid of his mom he's afraid of coming he's afraid of giant cock monsters uh he's afraid of scary people on the street i guess more in the abstract like what is Bo? what scares Bo? what kind of things freak re- him out
1: yeah what that he comment? won't that he won't have any guidance from an outside force in his life
0: that there'll be no nanny state yeah, exactly. Where, I mean think of the think of the same thing when you go on like if you want to talk about like
1: things making decisions for you, targeted ads. That's a great example. Yeah, exactly. And like it it just so happens that in, in Bo's world, his mom controls all of it. But yeah, like he's afraid that the that he will be sufficiently emasculated by the nanny state and then the nanny state will disappear and he'll have to uh think for himself. <laughs> um because then there is also Maybe I'm making this
0: up, but it's a three-hour movie. I can't remember every tidbit that they did. There was, like, a, an aside talking about how MW was making housing. And and uh, it seemed like the, the advertising was based in fear, where it's, like, the way that they sold themselves, like, be safe, be secure, be locked away from the bad things, which, like, I mean, you see that on, you know, television news all the time. Uh, fear sells uh it's it's very pro i mean uh twitter algorithms i know uh at least i know twitter i can't speak for the other ones but like that's a part of their algorithm is stoke intense emotions fear being one of the big ones oh and that's you any high. anything that
1: you can doom scroll is does that reddit does it that facebook does people that twitter does yeah that. and so yeah. like it
0: makes sense that like the child of the of the the most powerful business person on the planet would be inundated with fear
1: right yeah of course um because his whole like everything he consumes has been selected by his mom for his consumption oh. yeah it, it's so weird and like perfect that he lives in like the worst possible housing like he and his, you heard his, his... the east coast like i thought that was la just clearly no no and the more i think about it uh i think actually the bay area thing makes the most sense because like, especially i mean like, she's like a she's like a tech guru like she she's yeah probably so a like tech startup. yeah so she's so she she's somewhere and like kind of in somewhere in the valley if he's like in the worst he's in like the worst part of san francisco um kind of surrounded by by all the all the wealth and oh, I guess because of the person, distance, herself. because it took like several hours to get up there, I just assumed he was in LA. Um, maybe, but then, uh, but I guess now I'm just harping on the uh, the Steinbeck thing, and I want to believe he's in like central uh, Calif, central California by like the end, Sacramento or something. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um,
0: but I do really appreciate that he never says where they are because that's uh, what's it's everywhere. Name, like we could, he could be in any American city. He could be in chicago yeah. he can be in cleveland
1: he could be in boston i don't know yeah well in, in any case i think "Bo is afraid is like clearly the better title like disappointment mm-hmm. boulevard it's, it's 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 unwieldy in the mouth saying it out loud <laughs> it it seems it does it is a little bit generic we were talking about this last week it just kind of seems like like it, it's not nearly descriptive enough like it it could be anything like it could be it could be like, oh, Paul Thomas Anderson is making a another movie about yeah. the CD underbelly or oh, the yeah. or, Actually, this, or the thought, unsavory history of Los Angeles. you know, I would have thought
0: this would have fallen into the the tradition of like Sunset Boulevard, maholland Drive, like that kind of thing. yeah, I mean, Where, and, I, mean yeah, I guess there is oh there's an uh, you know uh, exhausting film people on a podcast. We haven't talked about this yet. Is it Lynchian? Is this Lynchian? Mm, no, I, I mean no, I say no, actually. I agree. No. And my this has actually been a gripe that I've had about reading first impressions. This is not Lynchian. It is not Kafka-esque
1: at all. It's absurd. It's yeah, it's terrifying, but it's, but it's not kafka Yeah, it's I mean, with I would say with the exception of the teen girl. I agree with you. Um, Do you uh, think *The bean Girl* is Kafkaesque? Yeah, well, I guess just in the like, the like, the like, the absurdist tradition of like, I, I mean, I mean, it's gonna go back to like Sisyphus, I think. Just like the, yeah. just like the, the meaninglessness and like the, like, com- like the complete, like, kind of striking out against like what's. Like man, I, I don't know where I'm going. I, I, I call well, here, an audible. Maybe,
0: maybe I can help you. Where I don't think it's Kafkaesque because when I think of the Kafkaesque, I'm thinking of uh, bureaucratic labyrinths or or mazes that wind up going nowhere. Where actually, strangely, the world Bo is afraid is ruthlessly efficient. The things that need to happen for this world to work happen without a a single hitch. Um, it all, and it all makes sense. It all has a logic. Like there's actually very little. Uh, what I would say is irrational about this world. It all makes a certain kind of sense. Um, it's just a horrifying sense where a lot of the Kafka-esque, at least from the stuff I've read. I haven't read all of this shit yet. Um, it's like it it follows a logic, but you're never quite sure what the goal is or what. Yeah, what the,
1: because be, because like any kind of goal is is futile. Right, like in yeah, there can't be a goal, right? Where like Bo, he has goals. Like he he wants to see his mother. He wants her. He wants to like, you know, bury her. He like there's, there are like, there is an end in sight for Bo, and like there isn't an end in sight for the teen girl, at least from her perspective. Mm.
0: Well, I mean that's Uh, that's also highlighted on the like you know she lies at. She's gonna drive them to the destination. They're just going circles, circles, circles.
1: What was he yeah. smoking?
0: I want some.
1: Yeah, I mean, he could just be a total lightweight and it's weed, but uh, <laughs> probably not. There's probably I sp- love- I mean, I, I, there's like some PCP in there.
0: I love when he asks, like, what's in this? And he's like, three things. It's like that right. is so vague. That is so loaded. Like, yeah, what three things?
1: <laughs> right, right. Um, I have a, I have a question. Like, I, w- I want to move on to kind of some of the more fun stuff, a little bit oh less heady and more just, a uh, little more just like, let's uh, let's make some more connections here. I like that uh, fun here on this
0: podcast for fun boys.
1: Yeah, and uh, my question is like, who who are your very favorite narcissistic mothers in fiction? Ooh, in cinema, in fiction, and on the stage, where wherever you find them in storytelling. Are we sticking to mothers? Are we staying sexist on uh, this one? Well, I, I do think that, like, the role of the absent father is really, like, key in this. But, no, mm-hmm. what's going nuts. It could be... It It can be... I'll, I'll, I'm going to give my favorite uh, narcissistic domineer. Give, give your father, bad, first, personally. Yeah, give your bad parent review while I think about this. Uh, yeah, and uh, mine is... Uh, <laughs> I'm going to, like keep going back because my recommendation on this is to just watch succession <laughs> ah. <laughs> because it is it has like the greatest narcissistic father figure where it's like the whole thing is like what if you know this utter shitbag narcissist had like the world at his fingertips and had all the competence and all the you know the, the wherewithal and the uh, the the means to just completely like drag his kids mm-hmm. in his wake and what happens to the kids' brains over it? Uh, succession. If you want to, if you want to take the exact opposite approach of Bo is afraid, and and dive into the quote unquote nanny state and big businesses' role in deciding what everyday life will be like for for people who aren't rich, and uh, look at that macrocosm and boil it down to just the children of the man behind it all, uh, okay. succession. And, and and you want to do that in a way that's the exact opposite, where it isn't at all stylized or in, in like a, a, a large way. There's nothing surreal or out of it. And they go for just extreme realism and naturalism. Uh, succession kind of takes the same story, but uh, makes it uh, just more, more real and relatable and like, mm. um, you know, just more of a straightforward watch. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and But yeah, yeah, yeah. Logan Roy is is my favorite, just like narcissistic, domineering father in uh, mm. kind of recent fiction. So I have two picks. Uh, one of them is more, it's, it's like a, a
0: personal where there's one character. The other one is kind of the community of parents, if that makes a sense or any sense. Uh, one, um, and these are more like personal picks. They're not like, oh, these are the most narcissistic, horrible parents in cinema is just like, oh, these are the ones that I found particularly interesting. One is Honey Boy, Mm. the father in Honey Boy, because, and I think Bo is Afraid does a little bit of work in this space. It doesn't, it's not quite appropriate for the tone, uh, but Honey Boy does a lot of work to try to love the narcissistic father, despite his flaws, tries to understand him as a human being, and But also not diminish the, not not reckon with the pain that has caused his children, uh, or child in this case. I don't know, I just really, I think Honey Boy is just like a really great exploration of like what it's like to be raised by an awful father. But it's also an awful father that he is also wounded. It's similar to Bo is Afraid, where most of these stories about awful parents, it's like they also have wounds are inflicted upon them they're being passed down to the children Mm.
1: um yeah so honey boy is a great one for that exploration as far as these like exact themes one one way that i think that what i still think is is Aster's best film hereditary um Mm -hmm. is a little bit more ambitious and a little bit more clear-headed with these things is with hereditary well it's right in the title you see like you see it like a generational sandwich of it, right? Mm-hmm. Like you you have like the central character who is both raised by a gaslighting, narcissistic, overbearing mother and has now become that. And like you see kind of both sides of it, like you see her children's perspective on her, you see her perspective on her mother, you see like her children's perspective on their grandmother. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you, you get like a lot more detail and a lot more, um, different angles when your main character is both the perpetrator and the victim at the same Where, time. Uh, the, also the obvious exhausting film boy answer would be
0: Royal Tenenbaums, but I personally yeah. actually don't yeah, yeah. much care about that movie. Like it didn't do much for me. I just kind of watched it and moved on. Uh, but it, it explores very similar themes. Um, another one kind of moving slightly to books, uh, strangely, or in peace kind of, dives into this as well only because it's a multi-generational story it it's following you know wealthy people it's it, it's exploring the the relationship between the hubris of the great man theory of history and how things actually play out and how that act and how those two things can be reconciled with people who realize that but yet they still can't be uh they can't escape that idea they are important people in a society if you have you know if you have two months three months to kill and you want to read a thousand page russian novel about a bunch of people fighting napoleon go for it but the other one that i want to look at oh shit i just lost it there's honey boy if you have another one go go uh, Oh 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 um where this isn't the uh a specific parent it's
1: a community of parents have you seen the hunt with um mads mickelson yeah, yeah i have not i've always wanted to Oh, I think. Well, let me click on it. I'm, I'm, I'm on the link.
0: It's yeah. It's on movie It's on Hoopla. Uh, it's on Canopy. So you can see it for free. Um, oh my God, it's 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 amazing because it shows the sort of hysteria that is inherent to parenthood, where it's like yeah. your child is so important and so precious to you, and you want yeah best for them. And it, so yeah. it it displays this hysteria, but it keeps it human you understand why these parents are demonizing this man unfairly and so it kind of like balances it, it's a really really fine line to walk where it's like this guy yeah. is being targeted and he's done nothing wrong it is so clear and you can so clearly tell that the uh so long story short madge mickelson plays like essentially a kindergarten teacher
1: a, a, He's a accused of, of sexual abuse, a, yeah.
0: Right. Because a, a a six-year-old girl is just being a six-year-old girl and fibs sometimes. Yeah. Like, like everyone fibs from time to time, and it blows out of proportion. And it could just be this story about mass hysteria. But what it does so excellently is no one is made into a character. Everyone is a full, understandable human being, and it really uh shines a light on just how like irrational deciding to be a parent is (laughs) it's a horribly illogical position to be in being a parent so i hear
1: uh yeah i would agree with that um i often like like you know worry about that like you know like like for instance like my daughter goes to preschool she'll come and she'll say something that's kind of like off the wall and it's like it sounds terrible and then like my wife who works at the preschool is like, no, what she's actually saying is this, and this is the thing that happened. And I'm like, Oh my fucking God. I'm like glad that you were there to witness it and translate for me. So
0: imagine Uh, if if you're a random parent that happened to be sending your child to these strangers for six hours a
1: day. Right. Yeah, I see. Um, You know, we could, we can like go right back to another classic example and talk about um, Kate in, in East of Eden. Oh, um, yeah. she's, oh my god she's, yeah. Yeah, I mean she's like she's not she's not even just like a bad mom. Like she is a bad mom, right? But like <laughs> like she literally like tries to abort her 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 baby and then decides like oh fuck it, I'll have it anyway and then just kind of cast him off. Which especially given Mer- the title publication, that
0: is in extreme.
1: Well, yeah, like she's literally like the devil in that. Like she's yeah, literally she's portrayed, she, as, she's, like she's, she's portrayed, portrayed as, as as yeah. the devil, right? Like the almost like the Jezebel character, right? That that Steinbeck loved. Uh, so yeah, I mean, we could we, like it's just like I, that's almost like happenstance that you mentioned. East of Eden earlier, where like East of Eden definitely has one of the most heinous the baddest of bad moms. Yeah, yeah, but but I want to I want to not talk about that i want to talk about amanda wingfield from the glass menagerie she's a great example she's so the glass menagerie was tennessee williams first major hit oh Um, okay okay it's it's Mm semi-autobiographical it's about his life and his it's really about his relationship with his mom and uh she is very domineering the father is absent she wants to dictate how her kids eat she wants to know what they're doing at all hours of the day she wants to protect them she wants to make sure that they stay close to her but she's not (coughs) portrayed as being aware of her shortcomings or like aware of what she's doing um she just wants what's best sort of like hereditary like a tony collette and like well i mean i don't know yeah I, i i disagree i think i don't i don't think annie and hereditary is uh nearly as sympathetic as Amanda in The Glass Menagerie. Mm, Uh, To me, it's like it almost reads like William Tennessee Williams got to be in his like late 20s or so when he wrote that play. and was like, or like early 30s, maybe, and was like, oh, man, I was too hard on my mom, like in this, Mm -hmm. she wrote the play. Mm -hmm. She's kind of the main character. She like kind of is the protagonist of the play in a lot of ways. And Tennessee Williams, the character, like his surrogate on stage, is a little bit more of like the antagonist and like the uh, uh, okay okay in and in like the in the kind of traditional sense like n- no one's a bad person no one's a good person in the glass menagerie but Amanda is sort of the lead role okay um, and like yeah. kind of similar kind of similarly to what uh, Shia was Shia LaBeouf is doing in Honey Boy so um,
0: have you seen
1: uh, After Sun yet No I I, I need to. Ooh. So well, this after has we, a after we finished wrapping up the Oscars, it was like one of the last things I didn't see, and I was like, "Well, the Oscars were over, and I never have to see it."
0: Oh, <laughs> you, I mean, you see, you after sun because it's, it's very fucking good, and and it's sounding similar to what you're talking about, where it's a movie that could have very easily been well, it's about a father instead of a mother, and this or father daughter relationship instead of a mother son, where it could have very easily just been an indictment on the father for not. Uh, rising up to his role you know but like what you're saying with Tennessee Williams where it's like oh he like hit his late 20s and realized that his mom is just a person that's doing their best that's what the movie is about is a daughter coming to grips with the fact that her
1: father is a person right interesting yeah I think those. I think yeah Amanda Wingfield like definitely has I think is the best well-rounded portrayal of you know narcissistic mother who doesn't have the competence or the means to be oh. uh detrimentally domineering but also is 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 a good person uh and just yeah. it means well but you know she's also dealing with all of her own flaws oh
0: that's tragedy waiting to happen right there that's that's tragedy fuel
1: that Dude, kind of yeah stuff. man oh. uh if you ever get a man if you ever get a chance to see the glass menagerie like the the, the, the there's been a couple of films i think one of them has john malkovich in the the young man role from like the early eighties, um, there was one. Yeah, from are there any good movies? Was, or else I'd watch it. Yeah, there, yeah. There's there's two. There's the John Malkovich, and then there's there there is like the classic movie from like the fifties or whatever. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, is that it's... it's one... in the Glass Menagerie? Or I I th- think oh, I'm thinking so. of the Children's Hour. Sorry, wrong one. Yeah, you might also. Uh, well, let's see.
0: But oh, so, I was about to say the. Most narcissistic, no, no, you're right.
1: Uh, oh, no, so Ka- Ka- yeah, Catherine Hepburn played Amanda in the 70s. Okay, okay, okay. Um, but um, the most
0: competent narcissistic mother that we could see in film actually
1: came last year with good old tar. Oh my god, <laughs> I, I love the way she bullies her child's bully. <laughs> It it is that's one of my favorite that's It's one how, of my
0: favorite scenes. Yeah. What I, what I would do that shit. Is like the audience watches it and you like go there, yeah, fuck yeah, bully that child. Hell yeah. And then you realize after like you feel good about it. Oh shit, I just like cheered on that this grown ass woman just like abused a child. <laughs> <laughs> well, she was just protecting hers. But but that's the point, is like now you're you're rationalizing yourself where you're like, oh well, she's just protecting her, her child, and like that's good, even though she just like absolutely ran circles around a goddamn seven-year-old, which is a bad thing. So you're kind of doing the same moral calculus as Lydia Tarr in that moment, which I think is great.
1: Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I do that in in my life though. I mean, well, like, I haven't I haven't had the oppor- I haven't had the opportunity because like, would you know, whoop the shit um, out of a
0: six year old that bullied your child?
1: No, but I would like scare them. Like <laughs> I would, yeah. I mean, if I had the opportunity, and like you know, the kid wasn't gonna be like traumatized. I wouldn't like you know, I wouldn't like <laughs> I wouldn't like make the kid fear for their safety, but I would like you know. Let them know not to fucking be mean to my kid i'm a stern talking to yeah i would do what liz i would do what lydia tar did
0: <laughs> which i mean maybe one day we'll do an episode on tar because tar is great um that like that's that's kind of the magic of the film is it like it it puts you in the shoes of someone who on reflection is awful but you yep. get everything they're doing
1: yeah absolutely all right well we're wrapping up on "Bo is afraid um i feel like we've given some recommendations i've given mine Hmm. uh but what what else do you have as far as a recommendation oh my yeah my official ones uh that
0: uh i've got two of them as i usually do uh one uh, i i don't know if i've made it clear my recommendations at this point i do one that has been released within my lifetime and one that has been released outside of my lifetime which i'm not dead yet so it's stuff from before so the one that's been released within my lifetime is a serious man and i mean this movie has so much in common with cohen brothers comedy and specifically with a serious man where it's an inc- uh having to confront things that you cannot control forces are larger de- than you having jewish parents apparently and it, and it it and it, it blends the the tragedy and the comedy of both very well where Bo's Afraid is uh, is not, or Bo's Afraid is much more of a horror film. Where I mean, Serious Man has horror to it, but it's not it's not what it's leading with. I guess I, I would say all three have the combination of tragedy, comedy, horror, and they they dance on that line very well. There's no way that Ari Aster was not thinking about a serious man at points. When you have a a, a very confused man being traumatized for three hours, that's right. right there. Uh, the other one, which is from before I was born, which um, you see a lot in, this is more Ari Aster's aesthetic style. Um, and also there are some uh, thematic parallels too. So this one I would say is less connected, still a worthy double feature uh, is Playtime by Jacques Tati. Have you seen Playtime? I've not seen Playtime. Oh, my God. For for nothing else, I'm sure you've heard this before. There is a giant sequence at a restaurant that is far none the best comedic sequence I've ever seen in cinema.
1: Yeah. Playtime is, is I think, often pointed out as, like, the great French comedy. Yes.
0: Yeah. So, it actually, and actually, and I would set the expectations now, where it disappointed me a little bit where i came into it thinking it was going to be this really uh somber exploration of modernity at the time at uh, he made it in 67 and and i guess like some of it feels a little quaint in 2023 um, about like just the disorientation of modern life um and especially i mean by 67 like it, it makes some it, a lot of its humor is derived in like working in a cubicle and corporate work and like the 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 culture that uh, comes from there and the the absurdities of all that. Um, but I think what what really like if if I were saying like oh Ari Aster definitely saw Playtime. Uh, that's why I put it on the recommendation list. Is that uh, the set design of Playtime is so intricate and so much of the humor is in what's not in focus. And it, it, and it kind of has this cumulative effect where you're starting to see all these gags kind of running in the background that really aren't like, quote unquote, supposed to be the thing you're focusing on. And there's just like in this final sequence at this restaurant, like all these gags start culminating
1: into oh, what's this- neat! All right. No spoilers beyond that, man. That sounds oh, yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's, it's so
1: good. It's And also,
0: you know, it, it looks in the ideas of alienation, of modern absurdity, of being a person who does not belong in this place or or feels like they don't belong in this place, even though on the surface they do. So they have that shared DNA. But I would say more than anything else, it's just the shit that's going on in the background. I think Ari Aster saw stuff from Tati, especially from like Bon Uncle or Playtime, it's like hell yeah that's good shit let me put that in my movies too
1: nice yeah i love that (laughs) well there you have it bo's afraid uh better than you might have heard on twitter well uh, there you have it this has been concessions i'm jared
0: and i'm dan and you know what kids don't forget to come